What are we doing? We're doing hukat. Okay. We're right. doing the phlegm, the phlegm portion. Is it? <laughs> is, is it a chet? With the H, it's normally a chet. No, it's a chet. It's a chet. It's a chet. Oh, so I can... Okay, right. Yeah. Oh, ready? Yes. I love that. That's one of yeah, my favorite things. Just make sure you have we... that spit uh, screen in front of it? your microphone, that, that whatever it's called. <laughs> I've, got the, I've, got it. I've got the popper stopper over it, just oh, for wow. the chet. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> G'day, wherever you, you may be around. Flam. <laughs> you just totally cleared your flam. Yeah. You're supposed to keep the flam. Jarnel's going. You just screwed up my whole introduction. Uh, no, <laughs> keep the flam. Don't cl- don't clear the flam. You need the flam to introduce the portion. <laughs> right. Don't don't just yeah. Try again. My apologies. All right. <laughs> you may be around the world and thank you for joining us once again on truth to you.org that's truth number two letter you.org it's season two of torah pearls i'm jono and joining me in the virtual truth to you studio all the way from ireland is jason of spiritualbabies.net g'day mate g'day g'day good morning everybody nice to have you back my friend and in indonesia is the author of let's get biblical why doesn't judaism accept the christian messiah volumes one and two you can get a copy from his website outreachjudaism.org that's outreachjudaism.org welcome back to the program Rabbi Tobias Singer. Thank you. So wonderful to be back. Nice to have you, my friend. Today, yeah. we are in Hukat. Hukat. There we go. That's where we are. You like that? You like a <laughs> bit of emphasized chet. Hukat. <laughs> I, like, I like the way you... Um, Jano didn't like have his you... medication today, so everyone should understand. <laughs> I did. So he gets all the... Some people get Numbers. excited over pastrami sandwich. He gets excited over a chess. But anyways, go ahead. Let's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Numbers chapter 19, verse <laughs> The man one. has no life, you know. <laughs> to 22, verse 1. <laughs> and this is the way it begins. It's <laughs> worth mentioning, before we do start, that we've yeah. um, traveled forward in time, right? We're so, now in the 38th year of the exile. Um, yeah, with and, this, in this portion we're traveling, yeah. we're, we're moving mm. ahead, yeah. This is, okay, so I was going to ask a question about that in in uh, because by by chapter twenty, aren't we in the fortieth year? Yeah, that means we're actually moving ahead. Technically, moving ahead thirty eight years. That happened pretty quick. Well, th- th- this is the big big deal that people miss when they read scripture and they think they're reading history. And Torah is not interested in history. That and therefore, meaning there is history in it. Therefore. When the Torah stops at a juncture to tell us something that happened at a particular time, realize that the, the, the creator of the universe has just moved four decades ahead mm. to get to this moment. Could you only imagine what depths you can, you can go to to dig up a, an eternal message because the Torah is skipping. I'm sure there were very interesting things that happened for 38 years that were skipped over. No and I've said this again, so when you get to an event in the Torah and you, you're not getting like, why is it there? Or what am I supposed to get out of this? Or how does this relate to me? That means study which is a maxim turn it over and turn it again because everything is therein and, and here we are we are gonna we are mid portion gonna as jason said moving ahead uh coming to 38 years ahead yeah mm. 
So at the end, I mean, you know, in uh, chapter 17, we're talking about the, the budding of uh, Aaron's rod. And that was the last uh, narrative, really. And then it, I, I suppose throughout chapter 18, we've got the playing of the harp as we fade from there, uh, 40 years forward to chapter 19. And this is where we pick up. We, and, and, and you pointed out something very important. I don't, I don't want the listeners to miss this. Obviously, the, there is a connection here where we had left off dealing with, where we finally, the rebellion's over, everyone gets which family of Levi, of Aaron, has their role, it's defined, mm-hmm. the rebellion's done, and now the Torah is going to proceed with further digging into or highlighting the unique role of the Kohen in contrast to others. So don't miss that that um, that connection. That this is we're continuing really uh, on, on another area of examining and exploring a fascinating role that is unique mm. for the priest. It begins like this. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Moses and Aaron, saying. This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect, and on which a yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eleazar the priest, that he may take it outside the camp, and it shall be slaughtered. Now, outside the camp, and it shall be slaughtered before him, and Eleazar the priest shall take uh, some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Then... The heifer shall be burned in his sight. It's hide, it's flesh, it's blood, it's offal shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the, of the burning, uh, the fire uh, burning the heifer. Can I, uh, uh, so there's a couple of things there. We've got this um, para aduma, this red heifer, this young cow. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, um, it's before they, they uh, ever wear a yoke, right? So it's uh, in the sense of a work life, it's like it's like a virgin, right? It hasn't mm. it hasn't fulfilled what its purpose is within as a piece of livestock. But <clears throat> what I want to ask here is why Eleazar when Aaron is the person in charge of these? Mm. That's a really good question. That's a great question. Yeah. So we're gonna, we'll 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 deal with that. So there is an allusion in the Para Aduma to many of the iniquities and mistakes of the Jewish people. There in there are allusions to everything. Obviously we we have already we've gone through tra- trauma after trauma. The Pura is a a blink, a f- a flashcard to the to the um to the golden calf. And Aharon he he's such an exquisite person. He's going to pass away in this portion. Mm. We'll talk about that later. But the key point is, Aaron is trying to make peace, and you're going to see he's really beloved. But Aaron has a hand in, even though he's trying to. We talked about this earlier. Mm. He's trying to delay the the Jews from sinning and delaying. Wait till tomorrow, then you can make with the golden calf. But because he had a hand in it, and he's rebuked for it, but he's well-intentioned, Aaron can't be a part, is not going to be included here. That's a brilliant question, because it, this, Aaron, in fact, had his hand in the, in the, in the, in the golden calf, and therefore mm-hmm. Aaron is excluded here. So, mm-hmm. that's why it goes to Aaron. This, I mean, 
a point, the, the big, big point, we had a conversation uh, a while back, and that is that there are different uh, words for uh, laws. A, a point I must make to the listeners who are not thoroughly acquainted with the Hebrew, with biblical Hebrew, is biblical Hebrew is a very small language. It, it, it's, its lexicon is very, relatively speaking, if you're an English speaker, if you're not, I don't know what you're doing listening to the show. I'm kidding, but uh, <laughs> do you ever watch, I don't know if they have in Australia spelling bees, they have in America. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So you ever watch when he's spelling bees, well, they take kids of Brackley and diapers, and they're asking them to spell words. I've never even heard of these words. Yeah, like, no, when, and you're going, wow. Like, and then there's always this kid from Pakistan who somehow wins, or whatever, or India. Like, it's <laughs> never like someone from California. But anyways, I'm going, wow, I never even heard of that word, let alone know how to spell the word. Now, Hebrew, it just, in point in fact, is really a, a small language, or a relatively uh, limited, very, very, and in fact, we have a lot of homonyms in, where a word can mean many things, just, just so you know that. Therefore, um, when you see many different words in the Torah, to describe what seems superficially to be the same thing. We can have the word law. There are so many mishpatim, chukim, and so on. Then that is a huge uh, flag screaming, saying the Torah is, is, has another unique word for this type of law. You better figure out what it is, because the Torah wouldn't do this by accident. The Torah is very limited in its vocabulary. The chok is, you, again, in the English translations, laws, statutes, gosh, I, I don't even know, legis, whatever they have. But a chok is a law that does not have an obvious meaning. We don't know the meaning for it. There are great, you know, philosophical works to try to figure out what, why we don't eat milk and meat, or why so on and so forth, why we can't wear clothing or wool and linen. Certainly, there's a great deal of sacred literature that explores this. But a chok is the commandment that we don't have an apparent understanding. And the Torah says, Zois chukas ha-Torah. You got to know how this works. The, the, the words there, Zois chukas ha-Torah, which is the opening verse of verse, this is how verse 2 begins. This is the chuk of the Torah, which means that this is the big one. This is what, in our state, there is a mountain of literature on this commandment which no one really can understand, which a human mind can't apprehend because it, can, it contains within it the uh, it, something that, it, how can it be that the person who is uh, taking somebody, who comes, who touches the dead, and therefore mm -hmm. becomes unclean, a dead body of a human being is mm -hmm. the avi avois hatuma. This is going to be actually important, which means avi avois Voice means the father of fathers of all that is tuma unclean. We talked about unclean already. Unclean doesn't mean dirty, dirty, but it means where there was holiness or there was life and then it's departed. This is the big one. The reason it's called avia voice the father of fathers is not in some sort of Shakespearean language. The meaning is that if someone touches someone else who is this, he goes to also becomes unclean, but not the mm -hmm. same level of unclean. So it 
actually goes down. But this is the, the, the great conundrum. The great conundrum is how is it that the person who performs this, who takes the red heifer, that no yoke has been placed upon it. So again, you have somebody who has rejected the yoke of God. That's the wink, wink mm-hmm. in all of this. Um, how is the the priest who performs this that he now becomes unclean? Mm. That means that's the conundrum. That's, that's that is what I mean. Our sages tell us that when 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 King Solomon in 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 in, in Ecclesiastes twelve says there there are just some things I just don't understand with all my wisdom. He, this is what he's referring to. He can't get it that the per, here you have someone who's come into contact with a corpse with a dead body, mm. and then the person who comes in to save him. Now, I, I want to just make a point because people get this wrong. It is not a sin to be tummy, to be in this status. So you've got to please dump all of your 21st century lexicon and way worldview, throw it away, and sub- submit to the language of the Torah. It is a great mitzvah to bury the dead. It's a, mm. so there's, it's not sit. The only thing is that when you're in the state, get this straight, everybody, don't mess up on this. You cannot go on the, uh, not the Temple Mount, and I want to make that mm-hmm. clear, but you cannot go to where the Temple was. The Temple Mount, for instance, if you're on the Temple Mount and away from where the Temple was, and we're going to see that on the tour, and sh- we'll out-delineate for you. You'll see it yourself. I'll... We'll show you where where Herod's well. You'll see Herod's wall is obvious. You'll see even Nehemiah's wall where the temple was, and so on and so forth. You can have a funeral on the Temple Mount if if you do it by like where El Aqsa Mosque is, all the way in the south, no problem. But you can't go into the temple, which we can find. You certainly cannot eat of sacred food that comes from the temple. That's the key point. I don't want people thinking that you're in you're unclean, so therefore you're a like there's something wicked about this but there has to be a method by which a person could become tahor meaning not tome so that they can eat from the from the sacred foods so that's what's in faith now this is so this is the conundrum this is the great conundrum why is it that the person who goes to sort of rescue those who have come into contact with the dead how is it that that person becomes unclean themselves? This is this is a paradox that is. And I got to share something with you. I never told anyone in my life. Mm-hmm. About twenty five years ago, Michael Skobak, Rabbi Skobak, who who he and I, you know, we we've been countering the efforts of missionary activity. Uh, all of our adulthood, going back to the very earliest time. And we were right there in the very beginning of this. And just to say something about myself and those, there's just really a handful of people who, you know, this is all we do, is none of us would have ever opened a Christian Bible. our, Our world... There is nothing about my life experience that would ever one could extrapolate that I would be studying Christian literature and 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 going deep into the church as he I uh, and and just a really without exaggeration. There's only a few in the whole world who do this as a complete. And we had this conversation about the paraduma, reflecting on our own lives. 
in that we we you know both of us would have never gone to this we would have gone a traditional route of being a rabbi and never even looking at Christianity for a moment. No, mm. 90, no, no Jew looks at the Christian. It just doesn't. If you're a Christian or were a Christian, it's like Christians don't study Hinduism and read the Bhagavad Gita. It's like the furthest thing from you. <laughs> we would, it just, this is so, so far. And I remember, I remember this again a long time ago, so I'm paraphrasing, but. We, we reflected to each other that, you know, here we were, the, 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 this Christian movement, the mess, which is the Messianic Church, was now growing exponentially. We realized there was a fire. For each of us, there was a, we, we, were, we, we had a calling to, to, to specifically address this great crisis facing the children of Israel. But in order for us to, to bring purity to those who had come into contact with, with this, we had to immerse ourselves in the teachings of the church, in the teaching, and it affects us. In one way, I don't speak for him, but in one way, it, it, any person I think who does this work, we all feel very deeply elevated by it because we encounter things in our lives that we would never, we, we, we watch, I've seen miracles before my eyes, but in another way, I, 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 ha, I, I spent years of my life delving deeply into the church's teachings and into the church, literally into the bowels of Edom, into the church, in order to to bring purity to my brethren. It started mm-hmm. out as as purify, bring purity and 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 purifying Jews, and and eventually it went on to I, I want to bring purity to every person, Jew or Gentile, all are created in the image of God. But it mm-hmm. affects us. Now here here's there, there's a this is the point I want to make. The thing is that because I, I, I knew that, I can say I know, I, I always had felt, and I can't speak for others, but I think the people who do this, we all feel that God had put us here for this purpose. The, by doing this, it doesn't bother me anymore, meaning I have given up a sensitivity. The fact that a person could read through uh, Christian literature, study it, I mean, really study it with, and you're really plunging into understanding Christian theology and the 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 development, not only canonical Christian texts but post-canonical Christian theology and doctrines and canons. To most people, it it, it horrifies a normal person. Mm. It doesn't bother me. That's the point. The point is, I have in some way. Uh, surrendered, lost a sensitivity to something that should be very disturbing, but because I have become so acclimated to it, and You've mo- I'm desensitized, I'm to desensitized, it. and I've lost something because sensitivity is a good thing. It is a good thing to pass by a a Christmas tree or a statue and go, "Whoa, this is an, an abomination." And if someone says, "Oh, look how pretty a tree is," I'm just saying it me. It's a sign that you got to say, you know what. I got to work on myself more because this really should horrify me spiritually. So there is a surrender in the effort of 
bringing cleanliness and cleaning those who are unclean, you do surrender, you do become tummy in a sense that you surrender something that's very important, that is a, a spiritual sensitivity, which holy Jews who never touch this, I mean, you have to look at their faith, and then they just want to, I mean, they're just, they just, when I have in years past, going back many years ago, described it, they literally, they looked like they were going to faint when they heard this. I mean, it would horrify a devoutly religious giant of a rabbi. I, I wouldn't, and, um, and, and, and it, it's, I remember that conversation, and, and it, it is, you know, like the Paraduma very much in that when you're being retired to mayim, which means you are purifying those who are impure, it also is metametahirim, which means it brings a certain impurity, not in a literal sense. The priest is not evil. He didn't do anything wrong. In fact, he's, it's a mitzvah of him to do it. So we're not, there's not a good and bad, but it does affect the priest in a sense, and it affects our work. I'll just speak for me. It affects it affected me in that I have lost something that I probably can't retrieve very easily, and that mm -hmm. is the sensitivity that ordinarily this should horrify me. So it, it, this is just an overlay, uh, just a, a, an anecdotal information that may help us give us some, it certainly gave me, and, and we were having this conversation, some glimpse at a, a an, an understanding of what we have in view here. Okay? Mm. So this is, and it's not just the priest because uh, the, I mean, obviously the priest impurity is imparted to the priest. Imputed, perhaps is a better word. And uh, but it, it goes on in verse eight: the one who who burns it shall also wash his clothes, bathe in, bathe in water, um, and will be unclean until evening. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place, mm -hmm. and they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water. Now I've got here for the water of purification, for it is for purifying uh, from sin. This was very rare. We only have had a handful of cows that really were pure, all red. And what's key is that the mixture, mixing that together uh, is, um, mixing that together with uh, living water lets a person fill them with a happiness because coming to contact with, uh, coming into contact with the dead is something that can cause someone to, uh, to be depressed. But there is the word here, the word is, is you're correct, um, that you, ha you have the word here at the end of verse 9, uh, the word chatos, limei nida chatos he, but here it's used, yes, limei nida chatos he. So you do have, as I said before, you have words in Scripture, but in this case it, it doesn't mean sin, although they can translate that way. And someone could very easily make a great case, because if you just do a word study, this is typically the usage of the word. But in fact, we're going to find in this portion many examples of words that ordinarily are not used this way, but have a different application, and this is one of those this is mm. this is one of those applications. So it, it's um so Vasaf Ish Tahar 
a pure person should uh, gather as ha'efer ha'para the ashes of the hefer veheniach bichutz lamachina, and he should place them outside of the camp. And in fact, it was. I'm not going to go through the details because this is actually a very big portion. Will be here forever. It was divided in three parts, but they needed to preserve it for future use. And it would be main for the Jewish people for a safe keep for a safe keeping. Nida, which is for the here the word means for the water that's used to sprinkle hachatasi. The word that's used to, the water that's used to sprinkle sprinkle. But here the word chatos is really the outcome of the carbon chatos, which brings about purification. So the correct translation would be again this. The translation would be is is to produce a cleanliness, which is exactly what the the carbon chatos does hmm. and uh, Jason first 10 I mean again uh, the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean to, and so now he has become unclean it'll be a statute forever Jason thoughts yeah well that's the big that's the big um, irony as um, Toby mentioned earlier the pure becomes impure and the impure becomes pure and I think what Toby was saying there in a nutshell is it's not the water that causes purification it's just the title of it the water of purification it's it, it's not going to purify people in and of itself. Again, I, I often go back to this. Um, I think the act of it is the is the most important part. And there's a really interesting story. And I know we've already cut into a lot of the tour time, but so there's two things I wanted to talk about. This one, real quick, is a story about um, a, a Roman questioner who went to a guy um, thousands of years ago, probably. Uh, Johanan ben Zakai was asked. What's the story with this red heifer thing? It looks a bit like magic, right? So he responds to this Roman. He says, just as a person afflicted by a melancholy or possessed with an evil spirit is freed of his disease by taking certain medications or by the burning of certain roots, in the same manner, the ashes of the red heifer prescribed and prepared in the right way and dissolved in water will drive away these unclean spirits or defilements resulting from contact with the dead, right? Brilliant. So, well, it is because he's speaking to the Roman in the way that the Roman understands it. But his own students said, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, and they, they say that man's attack um, that you have warded off with a broken reed, meaning a poor answer, right? A broken reed is um, it's a weak hit. It's not the mm. it's not the real truth. And um, so he responds. Um, he responds that the dead man doesn't make you impure, nor do the ashes dissolved in water make you pure. But the law concerning the red heifer is a decree of the All Holy, whose reasons for issuing that decree it behoves are not mortal to question. And so they sum up by saying that just because. <laughs> That's what the answer is. You do this because God says you should do it. No one really knows why, what the point is, why we have those ingredients, why we have that instruction. It's one of those things where ignorance is okay because we have to trust that this is what we're supposed to do rather than always understand why mm. and i think mm. that's almost this is something that's echoed later on with the rock and with moses's stuff there's an element of you just do it you don't take it on yourself to understand how the result comes about you just um take uh, god's word for it so that was the first thing the second thing was 
Um, and maybe this is because I'm going through this with um, Rod um, Bryant at the moment. Um, but when I was doing my notes on this portion, I got to the end of verse 10. And it said in some of my notes that this is a statute for the children of Israel and for the stranger that sojourns among them, a statute forever. Right? And in some of them, it says this is a statute for the children of Israel and the convert. Now, I don't want to get anyone's backs up, but if you convert, you are of the children of Israel. You can't be a convert and be a stranger. That there's, there's, there's two different things. You can't be both. And understand why it's written certain ways in, in certain books and why it's not in other books. But in this instance, the stranger that's sojourning with Israel is not someone that's finished a conversion or gone through any process of conversion. I mean, there's different ways of looking at that. Some people think that the conversion we have today is the conversion that they had back then. Some references say that three generations of a sojourning family would result in you being accepted as a native born. There's lots of different ways of looking at it. But Mm -hmm. it's important to understand that there are two different groups of people that this applies to. But both of them absolutely abide by the whole Torah, who they observe as the one God, what they observe as the Torah, their lifestyle, their customs, their traditions, the way they live, the way they interact with themselves and with the outside world is exactly the same. They come under one judgment. They live one life together. They just come from two different backgrounds. And that's me done. Well on said. Those well said. I, I just, I, I'm gonna, this is so important. I get so many questions about this. I want to just italicize what Jason just said. See, in every way, of course, the convert, a person who is, and the, we, it's, the word isn't convert. It really is the stranger who joins. They really always had a Jewish soul. But there is a distinction. So let's be mature about this. and not. There is a distinction between a person who converts to Judaism and someone who doesn't. And that clear is they don't have a camp. That's a very important thing. And therefore, when we have the infusion of to include the convert, the point is to make it very clear that even though this happens outside the camp, therefore, one might think, well, here you have a group of people who have no family, who have no nachla. They have no campment for themselves. And therefore, very important that the, this applies to everyone for all time, including today. We today do not have the paraduma, but then again, we don't have sacred um, we don't have sacred foods to eat it from. Number two is I don't. You could stop me if I'm going too far. Uh, the question is, people who go up on the Temple Mount. Uh, so one part of the Temple Mount, as long as you go to the mikvah, because the Temple Mount is a superstructure. Within it, you have the place where the Temple is. And when we go on our uh, uh, trip on our tour of Israel, going into November, we'll point out all this. So the Temple Mount is actually one of, if not the largest, um, the largest man-made plateau in the world the vast bulk of it, you can perform a funeral there if you want to. We do go to the mikvah. We do uh, abstain from wearing leather shoes. But we, but this is this is dealing with the temp, the place where the temple was itself. There is a Jewish law that goes on because I know this is going to come up. Uh, how does someone even go to where the temple is? Like you see, Rav Gorin after sixty-seven war brought a sefer Torah into the the what was this, the Dome of the Rock. There's a very famous photograph of him, and that's where the Holy of Holies was. How did he do that? We are all today in a state of Thomas Mace of being impure. And the answer is that during a time of war, it means you're going to battle for Jerusalem, and it's called kibush, which means you are now reclaiming the land. Soldiers don't 
have time to uh, go to Pura Dumas and to the, all this entire very long literature. You've got to fight right now for your land. And it is under that, it is the opinion, that opinion for those who actually not just go to Temple Mount, hmm. but go to the place where the, the Dome of the Rock is because of the of an uh, of an opinion that today a Jew who is going where the temple stood is doing as an act of reclamation of reclaiming the land and we are now in the state of war with our enemies and therefore these laws don't apply in this specific way that means a person is not cut off there are others who believe that um, there there is another dominant opinion I want to make this clear that no we do not go into onto where the temple was there actually is no opinion that you can't go on the temple mount although you'll read about it but the issue there is you don't know exactly where the temple began Mm -hmm. and ended I I believe, as so many great rabbis do, and Maimonides actually went on Temple Mount, and he went, I mean, is that there is a responsibility that we have in Rabbi Yehuda Glick, God bless him and strengthen him. Um, He has devoted his life to saying, look, if there is a concern about being on the Temple Mount and where you may tread and where you may not walk, it is the responsibility of rabbis, like Rabbi Glick, to tell people, here is is the spot where you can walk to, and here's a spot where you cannot walk. So hmm. there, there's actually two opinions. One is, don't go at all, and that is sort of the one position that is very much in the sort of in the, in one part of the hmm. deeply religious camp, and the other part of the religious camp is the opposite. Well, I went up with Ramosha Feinstein, who's probably, no, not probably, take that back, the greatest decisor of Jewish law of the 20th century, and he was critical and his uh, son-in-law, Ramosha Tendler, married Ramosha Feinstein's uh, daughter. I went with him, and there's a YouTube of me going up with him, that he, his position is very strong in saying, no, as rabbis, we have a responsibility to point out where you can walk and where you can't walk, especially now. Now, it is true, and I know I'm taking time on this, but this is so relevant, um, it is true that a hundred years ago, there were rabbis like, for instance, the first chief rabbi of the state of Israel, Rabbi Cook, says, you can't go at all. That's because we just didn't have the information 150 years ago of where the, where the temple began, because Jews weren't a lot up there. We couldn't excavate, meaning we couldn't survey it. We didn't have the aerial photographs that we have today. We don't have, we, we now know so much more than was known, you know, a hundred years ago, but mm-hmm. um, so that just helps people understand what what's happening here. Let, let us. That's, that's, that's interesting because I, I'll just say quickly: uh, it is of the of the view that we're that we're not a hundred percent sure where the uh, the holy police was and so on and so forth. We kind of don't know where we should step. If we go here, we go. Uh, that's the reason why I've never been up there. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I've never been up there. Um, so I don't know, Toby. Maybe that will change when we go on the tour. Well, yeah. This coming November. Let me just make this very clear. And what I'm about to say is not. No one would disagree with what you're about to hear. Okay, and that is, you could take the Temple Mount. That means the entire everything on the inside of the Western Wall, and divide it into three sections. Okay, what I'm going to say is non-controversial. Uh, section A is where we we know for sure the Temple stood. Obviously, anything in the immediate realm 
of the dome of the rock. Just I'm talking generally. When we're up mm-hmm. there, we'll we'll I'll act. We'll, I will and the other will all will point out to you that is definitely the temple stood there. The have now I'm going to skip B for a moment, and we're going to see. There is no question that the area on the perimeter of the Temple Mount, which would be close to the walls on the outside, is definitely there was no temple there. That's a thousand. I mean, I would nearly said something illogical. It is one hundred percent sure that, for instance, we see right. we know when Nehemiah's wall ends. So mm-hmm. we there's no from Nehemiah's wall to Herod's wall because the mount was expanded. Yes. You'll see this when we're on a tour. You'll understand it more. But mm-hmm. but but Herod did un, the unimaginable. He actually expanded the mountain. He was, he did that kind of stuff. So what what that is area C. Area C means there is no question. There's not one person in the world who says that that's where the temple stood. It can't. Okay, what mm-hmm. we have then left is area B. Area B is the place which is questionable, and therefore area C. Anybody can walk. Again, I w- encourage uh, those who join the tour. I am not going to be the police officer, but I will say that, of course, I encourage all my brothers and sisters who wish to go that they should go to the mikvah mm-hmm. the night before. Wear sandals not made out of leather. This is a holy tradition of the Jewish people. You can't even pluck off a little bit of the trees out of there and throw and toss it away. That's actually a mitzvah because they're not allowed to be trees on the Temple Mount because people less will worship it or think that we worship it. I remember Rabbi uh, Rabbi Tendler. We'll, we'll move on fast because I know we're taking time, but this is so relevant. Rabbi, I never forget. I was working with Rabbi Tendler. I actually did the the blessing of the priest on the Temple Mount, and there's a video of it on YouTube. And the question is, how did I get away with it? And I actually said, this is, I did it as a tour guide. I said, this is the way that priests would bless. And I actually, so I did it as a tour guide and got away with it. It was like, mm. wow. And it was shot with a 180 degree lens. I handed some of my camera and did the priestly blessing there. So just understand, there is area A, B, and C. Area C, you can definitely go. Again, do go to the mikvah the night before. They're all over Jerusalem. Um, and then there's those who hold that you can go anywhere because this is an issue of recapturing Jerusalem. And that's an opinion. You can rely on that opinion, or you can rely on the other opinion and say, stay away. And either of those are, are reasonable. Because, in fact, the Jews did go to war, and they didn't have time to go to mikvahs and so on and so forth. So, anyways, let's continue. I just wanted to, to raise that point. Boy, no, I appreciate that. Yeah. Jumping jumping forward to chapter 20, chapter 20, verse 1, then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh and Miriam. Miriam died there and was buried there. Uh, yeah, yeah. this yeah. is Miriam. Miriam was, let me see, how old was she? She was, I guess, 126 years old, about yeah, there, wow. I think, 26 years old. And this is a, a, gra- a very important because this is going to connect to what's going to happen. That's key. And that is, see, this is the oldest, this is the oldest sister of, of Aaron, just so you know, Aaron was three years older than Moses, and Miriam was six years older than Moses. And she's the older sister. This is the woman who has a long history with water. This is a, a woman who protected the, we'll call him the Savior, the Jewish people, who God would use as his vessel, Moses. And she was the one who stood from a distance and watched as God's hand worked with water. And, of course, therefore, the Torah is now going to connect her death 
which is going to shatter the people and mm. to what is going to happen next. And it's, it is, it's a sad introduction to um, the passage we're about to read, but this passage is familiar to us already because we've done this before. It's so, uh, if, I, if I can say deja vu, it says, now there was no water for the congregation and so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and the people contended with Moses and spoke saying, if only we had died when our brothers, when our brethren died before the Lord. Moses is really gets very upset and this I think is going to, it's very clear it's going to affect Moses. They're not, I mean, just the contrast at this point, which must be, they're not saying we want garlic as they had in the past and we want leeks and we want watermelons and we want fish. And the people are grieving. So you don't have water, but again, you do need water to live and, but this is not, if you, if, if, I'm not doing it now, but if you do and compare this, it isn't the 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 weight of what they're saying now is I mean Egypt isn't coming up it, it's it, I mean um, Egypt's coming up like you burst out of Egypt but not mm. we want to go back to Egypt this is this is yeah, okay. this like is they, by like the way also before, a new which gen- really this is a reminder of what Jason said earlier this is the new generation everyone we know has is died this yep, is this enough. is the generation going okay, in so, so this is what they said right. they said uh, uh, why have you brought us uh, up uh, the the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we may and our animals that that we should die here and why have you made us come up out of Egypt to to bring us this eat to this evil place it is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates nor is there any water to drink what's happened is that Moses is taking them on very circuitous routes to get from Egypt to, to thing so mm. Moses is guiding the people obviously as a pillar but is guiding the people and they're going you know like we, we, you really brought us on a route really a hor- horrific place yeah so so uh, Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly uh, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting they fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them and the Lord spoke to Moses saying take the rod you and your brother Aaron gather the congregation together speak to the rock speak to the rock is what he said before their eyes and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water out for them out of the rock to, to give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, must we bring water out of the rock for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and came and, and water came abundantly out. Uh, for the congregation, and the, and they drank. The animals drank. If you look at the language that Hashem uses, He says, "Look, first of all, there's a context. Moses already hit the rock. This is the third time that the Jews are out of water. The first time they are at the uh, they come to a place where the water is bitter. By the way, it's the same word. If you take Miriam and you just remove all the vowels, you have the Merim, which means bitter." Uh, if you notice here, is all Miriam is in all of this. Uh, he, Moses says, "You are a Merim. You are rebellers. They're all the same mm. word without the vowels." There is mm-hmm. something. There's a message going here. But I, I, just look for a moment, if I could go over this passage, and you'll see what's happening here. God says, if you look carefully at the words, Hashem says that 
that, look, you'll talk to the rock, and the rock will give forth its water. I don't know how your trans say so, yeah. okay, so the rock, the rock is the one who's going to do it. Not that you're going to take it out of the rock, but the rock is going to be the one that's going to do it. There's a difference. Now, look, if we now go say, okay, we have the instructions, Moses goes to the people and he calls them shimunam. That's auditory. Listen up. And he calls them mirim. And again, this is all the plan words because this is the will of Miriam. This is the, uh, an allusion again to each of the three times when there's no water. And he says, listen up. And he says, hamin hasel hazet noitzi lechem mayim. From this rock, I'm going to take from it water. Now, what happens is that's instead of now the rock issuing the water, Moses saying, I'm going to take the, from the rock the water. And so it's a much more direct approach to this. He's calling the people to listen, listen. But really, God has in, in, in view here, no pun intended, that there should be a visual uh, spectacle. The mm. nation is going to be called an Ada, and it's going to be called that over and over again. There are many ways to speak to a congregation. So there is a kahal, but there is also, you're going to see in a moment, the word Ada is going to come up over and over again, which is also a congregation, but the word Ada is unique. And again, my friends, I'm like screaming here. There's the Torah is so rarely is so cheap with words that when we have the word Ada, you have to ask how is different. Ada means witnesses from the word aid. That means God wanted the people to just observe something and and from it there they would be inspired from it notice also I'm, I'm, by the way if you need a cross reference go back to exodus chapter 17 in, 17. in exodus 17 where moses is instructed at the rock you'll notice the whole congregation isn't there this is not a public display the scripture there says i think what is 17 6 i don't have it in front of me yeah. but it says there that it, moses passed the congregation they went past them and he just took some of the elders with him, but this was not a public display of mm -hmm. God's power back then. But this is a new generation, a new time, and preparing them for a new life in the land of Israel. So here we have Ada, and here we have I, God says, I want you to do this in front of the whole nation. God had in view that Moses would use this event to inspire the nation and to infuse in them um, infuse in them trust in me, trust in the mm -hmm. Lord. And in fact, our sages, Maimonides, very prominently, when when the text, when God, we're going to come to it, rebukes Moses and says, but you didn't believe in me. Well, the word actually could be read, you didn't cause belief in me. That means mm -hmm. that you 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 allowed a an event which could have been it's a lost opportunity and mm. uh, because it's if you go back now and see god says to, like what do you need the whole nation to to be there but god look carefully the instructions bring the whole nation i want all the everyone to yeah. see this 
Well, see, and that's a really good way to put it, to say that it's a lost opportunity right. because, and, and yet God does not deny them the water, uh, the water comes forth. But obviously what happens, a couple of things that strike me is that uh, he doesn't speak to the rock, he speaks to the people, and he speaks to the people seemingly in a uh, an angry sort and of way. And he doesn't have the instructions from God. It, again, there's not, he means everything can be explained. What would cause Moses to be just shocked and blown away? Of course we can explain. So they, they, we're not dealing with good and evil people here, but, you know, and one of the things that I think it's hard to miss is the Torah doesn't whitewash anything. You know, our greatest leaders, no one's infallible. But mm. M- Moses was bound up with God, but in a sense, Moses I- is hurt and hurt on behalf of God. Like, you guys don't, like, what are you doing? Like, anyone would go, like, I, I don't think there's one person listening to the show or one person of faith who hasn't read through these passages that we have been moving through over the last few weeks and going, if I had been there, I don't think I would have said these terrible things. Some, mm. I, I, I'm sure, I think most people are going, I wouldn't have done that. So, in effect, God says, he didn't say, like, you didn't believe me or didn't trust me. But it is, in, it is read, as Maimonides says, to read this, you didn't infuse the people with belief if you would have spoken to it at this moment. Mm. Instead of going and telling the people, Screaming Plus at the people, which water he, out and then yeah, yeah, whacking yeah. the rocks twice. So, yeah, I would have done it anyway if you had just spoken, and it would have been entirely attributed to me in a way that, right. and, 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 and as it is, and, it's a lost and opportunity. Therefore, now, this connects perfectly. This works great. I mean, great. This is really very sad, my friends. I, please don't don't ignore my excitement here. And my excitement is only over the beauty of Torah. Is this then connects well? Explains like, is this really so bad? I mean, it seems like Moses. Punishment. We know that great people are punished much more harshly than mm. people not. That's granted. But it does seem disproportionate to the iniquity, to what Moses did, that he should be denied to go in. But now it makes sense. With Maimonides saying, you didn't infuse the nation, again, this is not like a homily. We see that God is saying, unlike, go back to Exodus 17, as I always say, look it up for yourself. This was meant to be an uplifting event for the nation, where you Mm -hmm. would be the leader who would infuse at a critical juncture their faith in God, and it was a missed opportunity, and therefore... Right. You you can't be the leader that's going to lead the nation into the land because you have fallen short in a leadership opportunity. And that's why it makes sense. And therefore, we can now look at what God is saying again. And one more point. I'm going to say it again. People who are on a high level are judged mm. are, are judged like a hare. It's not like anybody else would be judged in this in this way. But we should look at his being prevented from continuing leadership beyond into the land of Israel because, in a sense, this was a missed opportunity mm. to to display uh, a God's uh, God's greatness in a way that would have raised the nation. Jason, how, how do you say it? Actually, I have um, 
it's kind of first of all uh, it's really important that if if you're listening to the torah pass for the first time this might be your first year going through the torah that you don't do what i'm about to do now <laughs> because um <laughs> you'll find that you know the first year the second year the third year as you go through them you'll find new ways of looking at the text and things will be revealed to you that weren't revealed before and and at some point you'll see little pictures of um lessons that you've had recently which might be reflected in a text and so i want to share one of those with you now and i know we're, we're kind of late into the show um but it's pretty good and it's one of the few things i did several notes on but it won't take very long so um we all have an opportunity to be moses and mirror his actions um, nearly on a daily basis, and especially if you're involved in the in the online community and the Facebook community and in the circles that we are in. So it's not uncommon every week to receive an email or a personal message from somebody um, that says such and such a person has um, been studying out the Torah and they've decided they're going to leave their previous tradition and they're going to move forward without that and only look at the at the at the Tanakh as their reference and they've come under attack and uh, can you go over and support their support them on their page um, and in this instance their friends and family who are using um, Facebook as a, as a weapon to question the faith of this person you can treat them like this new generation in Israel now they'll have apparently faith in the same God as the faith of Israel, um, but there, but maybe haven't as, as much experience in uh, the wilderness as um, maybe this person has, and certainly that the people in um, the Tanakh have. But the point is this, if we look at the Torah and, as, and of the words of God, and in, and in truth, we have personal experience that tells us who God is. We have the the uh, expression of the rabbis and the sages and their understanding that tells us um, who God is and the character of God. But the only real concrete, concrete thing we have is the nature around us and the text. So when I um, read about um, my creator being the rock, I can look at the ground I'm walking on and the air I'm breathing and the food I eat and the words he says in the text. And so I know I'm getting there. There's a conclusion. So um, we've got an instance here where Moses is standing next to the rock and God says, speak to it. He doesn't say shout at it or sing at it. He just says, repeat what I'm telling you now to the rock and water will come out. And everyone listening will have a new experience, a newfound faith. They'll hear my words and understand and be rewarded. And in the Torah, the, the rock is an image of God and water is always an image of Torah. And we have an opportunity to do that. And we often fail. I often fail in a forum or in a, 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 a personal conversation within a group of people who are attacking what you believe. They're at essentially attacking the, the text and saying it says something else. You can either hit the rock and be angry, right? And take, uh, and take it personally and take it personally, yeah, can, right? And get yeah, all wound yeah, yeah. up and shout at them. I'm with you now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, you shout at them yeah. and you, you type in caps. And then right at the end, you might mention something that God said, right? Mm. Or you can mm. take um, God's example and just respond with the text in a cool and yes. concise and calm way. And if uh, you respond you. at the yeah. text, then the people who are listening, can only argue with God. They can't argue yep. with you. And yep. so I think there's, there's an opportunity nearly every day, certainly for me, 
to look at Moses' example here and be the cool, calm-headed Moses that he should have been rather than that angry person or I know what's best for these people, Moses, that he was. Uh, we are. Yeah, yeah, I, see, I see what you're saying. No, see, Toby, this is why he's coming on the tour. <laughs> Without him, forget it. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's brilliant. No, thank you for that. So now listen, we've, we've got to step on the accelerator here, mm. but they do come to Edom and they say, come on, let us walk through. We won't touch anything. We'll stay on the highway. And, and if we do, you know, take any water, we'll pay for it, you know, even if, but they, but they say no, and they won't let well, either Which is, I, forgive me, I'm sorry, just one tiny thing, mm. which is an unbelievable concession. The Jews didn't need water. That means they had all the water they needed. They're saying, look, Moses pleading with Edom, even though we've got all the water we need, we'll not use that. We'll actually buy from your vendors your water. So we're going to like, he's like bending over. I just, I want to highlight that point of how far Moses is bending over to get Edom to mm. allow them. They didn't need Edom's water. And that's, by the way, why, again, juxtaposition. That's why this is juxtaposed. We will buy your water. We'll buy your, I don't know, whatever. We'll buy your clothes. No, 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 no. We got all the water we need. We'll buy your water. But they say no. And so they, they turn away uh, from here. They don't go through Edom. And now, verse 22, the children of Israel, the whole um, congregation, journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. Now, this is just, uh, I don't even know how to, how to comprehend oh, this is, uh, what this would have been like. Um, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount, uh, in Mount Hor by the uh, border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given uh, to the children of Israel because of you, because you rebelled against my word uh, at the water of Meribah. Take Aaron and uh, Eleazar, his son, bring him up on Mount Hor, strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar, his son, for Aaron shall be gathered to his people and die there. I mean, I, 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 oh, I, I, hang on, I'll just keep reading. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded. They went up on Mount Hor in the side of the, in the, side of the congregation. Moses stripped uh, Aaron and, uh, of his garments, put them on. Eleazar, his son, died there on top of the mountain. And Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. Now, when the uh, congregation saw that Aaron was dead, the house of Israel mourned for Aaron 30 days. I mean, it's, it, it, first of all, I mean, I don't even know how to comprehend it when, when God says to Aaron, you're going to go up on the mountain, you're not coming down again. You're going up on the mountain, you're going to die. You're going up on the mountain and you're, uh, the, the high priesthood is transferring to your son. You're staying up there and you're going to die. And this is what you're doing now. So now go and do it. I have a personal conclusion that no one is going to back me up on. That okay. Aaron was possibly really, really sick. Right, because Moses didn't, I'm sorry, God didn't give this instruction to Aaron. He gave it to Moses. Moses took this um, person up to the top of the mountain. He stripped the person. He took the person that the clothes were going to go onto with him. Aaron doesn't actually say anything. And I wonder whether they, they, they did it all for Aaron because he wasn't able to do it for himself. Because he was on, potentially just, on his last yeah, I was looking legs. at it in a very human way. Um, that that may have been the case, but Aaron, I didn't. I don't. I didn't. When I looked through the text and I had a good look, I couldn't see any way that Aaron interacts with people. Moses does all of the work. True, much. true. But if if God said to me, uh, "You're going to go up in the mountain," you're not. But that's it. He didn't say that to Aaron. I, I reckon I'd be speechless as oh, well. Yeah. 
But maybe, yeah, but he didn't but, say but, that to Aaron, though, but did it's he? Good he, point. Said, he said, yeah, he yeah. said it to Moses. Well, it says, it, it says at the beginning uh, uh, that the Lord spoke to, Ma- to, to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the, by the border of mm. land, saying, oh, so, yeah. so it might be within his hearing. But, it, but you know, uh, but the, is it the, there, is, a, there is another angle here. And, and our sages tell us that every text has 72 different ways of looking at it. Uh, there, Don't it, do that. Uh, but I won't do 72, <laughs> but I one. will give you one. And this is okay. the dominant understanding Please, of these yeah. of these, uh, these numinous passages. And that is, Aaron had great peace in his life. Vayidim Aaron. Aaron's nature was always a peacemaker. And at a time, even when he saw, I mean, uh, any person's worst nightmare is to watch your children die. And Aaron absorbed that, and Vayidim Aaron, Aaron was silent when it happened. Aaron was the great peacemaker, and we're going to see that the mourning of the Jewish people over Aaron is even exceeds that of over Moses. Moses was very often the one who was scolding the Jewish people. Aaron is always trying to make peace all over the place. But Aaron does have the nachas. I mean, if you look, we can't live forever, right? So I ask, I ask every listener the question, God should only, uh, Aaron here is, a, let's say, 123. Three years old, about there. He's hundred. He's got to be one hundred and twenty-three. When you're one hundred and twenty years old, what would you want to? What? What? I mean, at some point, we can live. Some people live in La La Land that they're never going to die. But realistically, what would you like to see in your life as you're moving on to the next world? Well, I think most people would say, you know, if I had my grandchildren, great grandchildren around me, and they had a yarmulke on the head and they were devout Jews devoted to the God of Israel and I knew that's how I was leaving my this world that my children and grandchildren were continuing on in the, in the great mandate that was given to me and they had continued incidentally Moses didn't have this comfort he had a grandson who was bringing worshiping idols and bringing idols to the Jewish people that goes on in another place at another time so Aaron this is in a way a very a peaceful moment for Aaron in that there's a transfer and and Aaron gets to leave this world with the peace and knowledge and that's why we have a, this is very quiet where Aaron has really what I think most people, when you ask them, what would you, when you leave this world, when it comes, when you're 120 years old, what would bring you a sense of peace? The peace is that my children will continue in my ways, in the ways that inspired them. And he gets to say that. Right, and that's what Aaron did. So in another sense here, Aaron has, a, he sees the clothing of the high priest. It is taken, so. removed from him, and placed on a luzzer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, now, also, one of the, you have to contrast, look at the misery that Reuben must have been feeling, or his son's feeling, going that the the priesthood, which would have been the firstborn, was taken them. Aaron leaves us where with a great peace that his son is going to now continue carrying on the great message. Yeah. And Aaron doesn't die in the way of the world of Sadducees. He he's moving on to the next world, and Aaron's yurt. This is the only yurt site, which means the only day of death ever given in the Torah. 
the the Rosh Chodesh Av, the first day of Av. That's when, and and it, it is remembered by priests. We we actually priests do have like a kiddush where we remember Aaron on that day. It's because the day of a death is considered important. So I I just would say that if you look at this, there's a tremendous calmness here. They're going on the mountain on top of the mountain. So this was like a double mountain, and Aaron is the the clothing is taken from Aaron. It's put on Eliezer. Aaron is leaving this world in a way that when a person leaves, I think most people would want to know that their children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren are continuing in their way. So this is a great mm-hmm. source of, of peace for Aaron. And it, yeah. if you look afterwards, the people loved Aaron. I mean, if you look at the description that we come to, yeah. and there's where we see the word Ada. It's been coming up. I just We've covered so much material, but aid, that's the word aid, which means witnesses. By Yiru, look at the visual language versus the auditory language. When they're doing the right thing, it's the visual language. After all, we are called to be um, God's servant and his, uh, his servant and his witnesses. By Yiru, Kola, Ada, that they saw that what ha- that, that Aaron w- had died. Vayivku es Aharon, and they wept bitterly over Aaron, Shloishim Yoim, and who did it? Kol Beis Israel, the whole nation, the men whole, and women. It, Moses, they, they said for Moses, but the, it's not men and women, they're just the certain people who are weeping, but Moses was, in a sense, I'm not saying the bad guy, but he was scolding the nation constantly. It affected him. Mo, Aaron was really always trying to make peace, and this is how he's known in Jewish thought as the great, as the, as the, the peacemaker. We're not, this is not Christian Christianity and Jesus, everybody's got, we all have our imperfections and flaws, but ultimately he really was always trying to make peace and trying to, you know, and lessen it over here. So that's critical. So we've lost uh, Miriam, we've lost Aaron, that is that. We're now in chapter 21 and we're coming up to the bronze serpent. But before we do, there's just a couple of verses here that are so significant because this is the first victory, yeah. uh, a, a battle of coming into the land and defeating some of the Canaanites, right, Toby? Yeah, yeah. Now, actually, uh, the, these are coins, this is not really Canaanites because if you see the strategic area they're going to be in the south, they're actually moving through an area that was inhabited by, by the people of Amalek. And mm-hmm. and uh, and they're going to war. They're going to war here, and the war is going to have very intriguing effect because what's going to happen is they're going to actually go into a series of war. They don't want to fight with Edom. Edom is family. Edom mm-hmm. is. They don't want to fight. They're just going to circumvent Edom. And yep. they're not ready to go into the land, so they're bypassing it. Here they're going to war. Verse 5, And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food and no water. Our soul loathes this worthless bread. And so the Lord sent fiery serpents, fiery, fiery serpents among the people, and they bid the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Okay, so really quickly, fiery serpents. I mean, the word fiery. Okay, so fiery doesn't mean that fire is coming out of the mouth of a thing. But right. one thing I am told, I thank God and have been bitten by a snake, but it is a burning sensation. So what's being conveyed right. is that the bite of the snake causes I, I the closest I've come to that is I I was in Bonnier diving coming up from a dive taking off my gloves underwater because you're technically not allowed to wear gloves but on at night there's a jellyfish 
and mm. bingo, I got hit. Okay, I got hit by a jellyfish. Oh, by jelly- In fact, there is a coral called a fire coral. I mean, you touch it, you, you feel like you've just really? touched. Oh, yeah. There's a coral that does that to you as well. Oh, yes. All right, oh, yeah. So in Very any case, common. these are the, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is possibly what the fiery serpents, uh, so that bite not only is uh, fatal, um, but there's a, a fire sensation as well. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Oh, yeah. So, by the way, it, 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 the word is hanachoshim hasurofim. The right. word really says that means the snakes that cause burn, that cause fire. Right. I mean, it, it's in the word. I mean, it 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 it's, so it's fair yeah enough. yeah yeah. It, it's a it's a burning. I've never been bitten by a snake, but I I have touched a fire coral. I've encountered. It, it's just a burn, and that's important. Imagine if snakes didn't cause burns when you got bitten, you wouldn't know you were bitten, and you you'd be dead. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a blessing that you know it. I ha- anyways, let's continue. Go ahead. So they said we have sinned. We've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed to the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, take a fiery serpent, uh, make rather, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, so you're not going to get out of the the possibility of being bitten and the fire thereof, but everyone who was bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. So Moses made a bronze. I've got bronze serpent. I know, Jason, you probably got copper. Is, mm. is that fair? Yeah. You do. But the, the real, the big question here for me, and the one that needs to be approached, is how is this okay? How is it okay to look at a figure on a stick and be healed in this story, and it's not okay in the Christian text? Is that oh, fair? because, 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 and I mean, you know, James Tussaud, the great artist, uh, depicts this as a snake on a cross, doesn't he? And makes a, make, certainly makes a suggestion there. And, and obviously preachers really go to town on this one. And, and with the look and live, um, you know, Jesus on the cross, the, the bronze snake on the, uh, uh, on the pole, Tobia. Okay, so w- what's happening here is very plain. First of all, we don't really have the word pole here. The word nace, you can look it up. It's all over, the, all over Scripture. You'll find Isaiah 62, Isaiah 11. It means on a banner, on a high place. That's the key point. Now, God doesn't actually say make it out of bronze, but the word nechoshes has the word nechosh in it, has the word snake in it. People are to look at this snake, which is made out of human hands, which means it's an image of it. The key point is that if it's going to heal, then it's, 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 it's imperative you do it. What is the healing? What's happening? Is it magic? Woo! The, the, the bronze snake, woo, 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 woo. This is not a woo-woo moment in the Torah. What happens is a person, people who are bitten by snakes may say, snakes are poisonous. And the cause of this is coming from snakes, the nature of snakes. So the key is, look at this thing. Look at this bronze snake. It, it was, I could tell you, a very attractive, striking thing. And I'll tell you why later in a moment why we know that. But the key point is, a bronze snake can't do anything. So the purpose of this was to show the people this thing, a snake can't bite you any more than a thing that can't breathe, see, or eat, or anything or has teeth can bite you and they have to look at it and realize how void the notion is that things just happen arbitrarily that you're getting bitten and therefore and it's held high up nace is a flag an emblem an enzyme if you look all over the bible you'll find this word that means look at that and that will just turn your eyes to heaven and in fact that's why it's held up why didn't he say put it on the floor no put it up in the sky people go whoa that's a stupid thing that can't do anything to me and then there's heaven right behind it so that's what's 
coming into view. Later on, as it turns out, uh, people, dummies, they go, oh, whoa, that this thing may happen. People started worshiping this. That means this was a relic. They didn't get that's, rid of yeah, this that's stuff. That's true. Yeah. These things are become a relic. That means they, they enter the land with the copper stake, and it's with the Jews for 600 years. Hezekiah lived roughly, I'm doing the numbers quickly, but Hezekiah lived roughly about 600 years after the exodus well guess what leave it to you know our dummies to go and go we're going to worship the snake idiots the whole thing (laughs) back then was if you're to look and say it's just bronze that bronze snake can no more bite you than the than the snakes running around if Mm. it's not the will of god people go let me turn my eyes to god then but what happens is people actually love relics as we see among our our friendly Christian neighbors who mm-hmm. bow down to God knows what, you know, this is a relic mm-hmm. of this, relic of that. And our and and uh, and Melech, Hezekiah, our sages praise him. They they actually it's a Gemara in Sukkah, Tractate Sukkah, where a number of things Hezekiah did was they were criti- he was criticized for, mm-hmm. but this is one of the things is he destroyed it because people He destroyed were, it. Oh yeah. He, he absolutely uh, uh, destroyed it, broke it up into pieces and, and that was the end of that. Yeah. Because they were worshiping. That was the opposite, you jerks. I, I'm sorry to use this language, but this is really is jerks. The purple, right. it, it's not just um, a relic has become an object of worship, so let's get rid of it. No, 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 no. The whole, it is, it is the in, reciprocal, it's the antithesis of what it's been. The purpose of it, the show is that these things are nothing, that it's mm. all from God. It's mm. the way you're behaving that's causing these things. You mm. idiots, you took something that was supposed to show you, hi, I'm a nothing, I'm a bronze sculpture, uh, I'm nothing, and then you went and did the opposite with it. You went and worshipped it. I wish I was a greater rabbi than I am, because there are some greater, I mean, I wish that sounded a little, I wish I was one of those great rabbis, I meant to say, who have the ability to come up with these great stories, but this is like like stupid people. It's like the people of Chelem. Chelem is this fictitious um, uh, city where everybody's an idiot and everyone's doing just stupid <laughs> things and it's very it's in Jewish lore whenever you want to show how dumb people could be we tell the story of Chelem there is no such place but it's dumb so Chelem had like a bridge and the bridge this is this is a great so, I'll, I'll, so the bridge had was broken it had a hole in it a passerby comes and says hey guys you've got a bridge here and there's a hole in it someone can fall through and get killed so what are the people of Chelem do they built a hospital on the bottom of the bridge (laughs) they built a hospital on the bottom of the bridge problem solved problem solved now someone pulls through we can put him in the hospital (laughs) that's how stupid this was that's the point point is this is well you know it's funny you should say that because the uh, what is the emblem of uh, of the uh, medical profession I'm a rabbi I'm not a I'm not in, I can uh, answer that uh, question. This. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. All right, so um I'm I'm desperately trying to remember the name of the god. Um it's it's it's, it's the Hippocratic Oath. It's right? maybe it's Hippocrates. 
Um, Esclepier is the guy that is the, the guy with the medicine. Maybe it's Hippocrates. Anyway, he had a daughter, and the daughter held a staff, and the staff had two snakes, and she'd walk around where sick people were, and the snakes would lick the eyes of the sick people and make them better. And that's, that's a true why story, by the way. I'm joking. I'm <laughs> yeah. kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> like, what are you smoking? You could tell them. You could be sure that LSD was completely legal when that story was invented. Right. There, <laughs> was some, there was some frogs in people's mouths i think at that point but yeah that's that's why um ambulances and the medical service often have a staff with two intertwining snakes around on the oh, outside. okay so you, what are you telling me is that 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 emblem has nothing to do with this passage in the tanakh nothing at all in the torah wow no, it's, it's, didn't know that i think it's greek yeah how about that there it is now we we've got to fly ahead guys i'm sorry about this but we, we're running out of time i just want to really quickly uh, okay verse 14 tobia the book of the wars what the book of the wars of the lord Book. Well, no, no, we we don't we don't have this. Incidentally, my friends, is going to come up very often in throughout Scripture. You're going to find the Book of Chronicles and so on. There were books that these things were recorded in, but were not kept because they're not the Word of God. But they were inscribed and written down in books. But later on, prophets would use these records to collate uh, their own prophetic works that we find later on. Okay. And what little in, uh, uh, example we have here um, from verse 14 and on, it seems to have been uh, poems, perhaps songs, and we have some there. Now, uh, in the interest of time, uh, Jason, is there anything in the remainder of uh, chapter 21 that you'd like to highlight? No, I don't think so. I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much done. Um, it's worth, and I said it a few weeks ago, don't just listen to this and um, you know assume that you've done your due diligence because we might be making it up. And I am going to read it, folks, because we're not going to read it all. Yeah, read it for yourself yeah. because I mean there are some really interesting um, people in here, like Og, right? This this giant dude um, who had loads of walled cities and he had a massive bed, and you know it's one of the last giants. And there are some interesting questions there. If all the giants died out, if if the flood killed everybody, how Og? Um, so so no. Go and have a look for yourself and get involved online, get involved in the communities, ask questions because we've got a huge, mm. I mean, we're just three people, but we're part of a, a much bigger circle of people who are doing this every day, not just for an hour a week. So um, get involved. Fair enough. So, but, but you're right. There are, there's a few uh, extra uh, battles here. The battles continue as, as uh, the first one we have at the beginning of, of chapter 21. Uh, Toby, is there anything you'd like to highlight before we close off here? I, there is, but you know, I mean, what what's I think is key is that a person should always seek to make a real peace, and, and not a fake peace. And that is that's what I would take here, and that is you notice you, it's impossible to miss the point that it wasn't necessary to go to war with Edom. It, they could have been circumvented, mm-hmm. but you but Israel was not compromising its uh, integrity by just circumventing them. There's something Hashem does here, and that is when he, when subsequently the Jews are going to go to war by aggressive nations who had no reason for for going to war with the Jews, it ultimately turned into a blessing. And that is the Jews used these places that we were launching pans against, pads against our nation, and then we said, okay, we're going to battle, destroy them, and then we took them over. 
my friends, this is a picture of the future. Moshe Dayan, the guy with one eye, the great general said to mm. King Hussein, don't fight, stay out of the war. It's just Egypt and Syria. We don't want you. And what does King Hussein does? He actually goes to the grave with the grave of, of Samuel is. And from that spot right there, he's launching rockets at apartment buildings, Jerusalem, which makes no sense at all. But if he hadn't done that, and if he would have stayed out of the war, we wouldn't have Jerusalem, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have Hebron, we wouldn't have Judea and Samaria. That's the heartland of the whole land, my friend. It isn't Tel Aviv. I mean, that's 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 the. Bur- so therefore, what's happening is we see a picture that Israel does not. Yes, we don't Jews do not have to. We don't have to go to war against Nigeria or whatever. We don't have to go to war un- unnecessary wars. But what, but Hashem does, us. but, but what happens is that Hashem puts stupidity in the minds of our enemies so that when they attack us, we respond and then we take over and that's the end of them. And that's what we need to do now rather than trading away land, the very gifts that God has given us. Beautiful. Thank you. That is an excellent way to end. And in fact, our Torah portion does end with the first verse then. The children of Israel moved Bingo. and camped right. in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. We're right. going to be passing through that, by the way, on the yes, tour. But this mm-hmm. sets the stage for one of my favorite Torah portions, uh, which we will be getting into next week. And that is, of course, the Torah portion of Balak. And mm. I love this story. And, and I'm really excited. Where uh, It's just one of my favorite ones. So I'm looking forward to that. Thank you. Jason of spiritualbabies.net and Rabbi Tobias Singer of outreachjudaism.org and tobiasinger.tv. tobiasinger.tv, you'll find all his videos there. Thank you again, gentlemen. And in the meantime, dear listeners, be blessed and be set apart by the truth of our Father's Word. Shalom. Hey, dear listeners, Jono here reminding you that we are returning to Israel with Rabbi Tobias Singer, and we want you to come with us this November. Go to truthtoyou.org and click on the Tanakh Tour of Israel and join us as we walk where judges, kings, priests, and prophets made history in the Holy Land. Seats are limited, so don't delay the Tanakh Tour of Israel this November on truthtoyou.org.